folks. My name's Andy Sido, and welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Broomfield, Colorado-based producer, Joe Michaels. Hey there, and Happy New Year. Happy 2022. I'm recording this on December 7th, so I don't know for sure what all my resolutions are, but I always write down stuff, um, and I've got to go back and look at what my 2021 goals were and see how miserably I failed at those. No, I'm just kidding. I think I probably did okay. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, I always go and look at the end of a year and say, what did I say I wanted to do? How much of that did I do? How much of that do I still want to do? A lot of times managing goals for me is just realizing that I no longer care about that goal or it needs changing or whatever. Um, Or or maybe uh, some years I need less goals. Um, So anyway, my point is that I I haven't written um, my New Year's resolutions for 2022 yet, but a, a couple of things I've been thinking about is number one, I'd like to get out more, um, which has been something that we haven't been able to do, um, you know, the same way as in years past in a while. But uh, in general, I would like to become a little bit more a part of the scene, getting out, inviting people out for beers that I maybe have had on the podcast and haven't talked to since, um, or just uh, people hanging out in the scene and going out to some shows and things like that. So I'm trying to trying to do more of that this year, collaborate more, do more projects. Um, anyway, that's pretty, those are pretty half-assed resolutions, but hey, I still have like three weeks. So there you go. But as you're listening to this, it's about a month later, January 6th, I believe, or, or later. And um, yeah, maybe you've already got your list figured out, or maybe you don't have a list and maybe that's for the best. Anyway, <laughs> Happy New Year. My guest today is Joe Michaels. I was having breakfast with uh, my buddy Chris Kay, who's been on the podcast twice now. And uh, in mid-sentence, he said, you know who you ought to get on? Joe Michaels. And I said, okay, I will. So I uh, I emailed him, and I, I didn't know a ton about him, but I've, I've chatted with Joe before. We met uh, a couple years ago when I opened for Chris Jacobs. Um, in Fort Collins, and he's uh, Joe's worked with Chris Jacobs a whole bunch, and he reminded me about that in our conversation. But then uh, when I went down to Dockside Studios in July to record an album with Andrews Osborne producing, um, and Dockside is in Maurice, Louisiana, I was made aware of Joe because he goes down there all the time and does projects. He flies down there. And in fact, he was recording at Dockside the week before I was there with Anders and the week after. So I uh, I thought, okay, well, this is – somebody's going down to this studio, and I feel like I have a bond with him now that I've been down to Dockside because there's something magical there. We talk about that in the podcast, but you can't explain it to somebody who hasn't been. And the fact that um, he's just a, a, a fellow – Colorado news Ben. I feel like we're we sort of have an interconnection that way. Um, but he's been recording there for years, been producing, been putting projects together, um, such as Neville Jacobs. Um, it, well, I, I, I shouldn't even go into the list because we talk about plenty of it, but he's worked with lots of artists. Um, and if you're not aware of Dockside Studios, it's in Maurice, Louisiana, as I said earlier, owned by Stephen Wish, who are two of the sweetest people ever. And they have a wonderful engineer, Justin Tockett. 
And all kinds of artists have gone down there to record um, lots of Grammy nominations and, and wins and things like that. And it's about a five-acre property. You live at the studio for a week. There's a river going through it. It I, I don't know. It's I can't even look it up. Go there if you get a chance. It's just a really magical, sweet spot. But Joe works there a lot. He also has Snapped on the River Music, um, which is you know his company for um, production and in, in his musical collaborations. He's also a, a poker player. Um, he was professional for, for quite a while. Um, he's a part of Rocky Mountain Music Relief, which we talk about a little bit. And as an exciting new thing, he's starting Bent River Records, um, which he's going to talk about as well. So I don't want to give give too much of that away, but it's an exciting thing and an, and an exciting opportunity for independent artists. So that's towards the end. Um, and uh, be sure to check that out. He's got some. He's got some really cool ideas. I think about um, the world of the world of record labels and where it's going for indie musicians. So, okay, that's that. Anything else? Oh yeah, our sponsors. The most important thing. First off, thanks to PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor or you have any questions about that, you can shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com or just my booking email is fine too, andysidomusic at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this podcast in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. I put out episodes early uh, on, on, on Patreon a lot of times. Um, I put out some exclusive content, songs that I don't put out to the world or put it out early, or production videos where I dig into, uh, you know, how I wrote the horn lines for a song or something like that. So lots of fun stuff on there, and you can um, join that for as little as $3 a month. If you'd like to help out in a non-monetary way, totally fine. Give this podcast five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Let's jump into the show. All right, I did the clap. I don't have the clap. I did the clap. Right. I don't. Th- I don't think I have the clap. Anyway, um, Joe, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Good. I'm doing great. And you're up in Broomfield, yes? Yes. Uh, kind of a nice little uh, comfortable place on a on a greenway and 12 minutes from Cervantes. So I can't ask for anything more in my life. So, so golfing and music is that the two things? Uh, no, I don't golf at all. You're just on a you're just on a greenway. Yeah, well, a greenway in Colorado here. That's really a. Uh, it's just an open space, designated open space. There's no oh, golf. Gotcha, here. gotcha. Yeah. I, you know what I I was so I went to Holy Family High School in Broomfield, and it's uh, very close to a golf course. And he said greenway. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. No, actually, we sit under our house sits under the Kentner Dam, and so there's just this really beautiful chunk of open space, and we've got a nice, beautiful view of the Flatiron Mountains, and again, 12 minutes from downtown Denver. It's how, how could we ask for more, you know? That's a good deal. And how long have you been uh, in Broomfield? Uh, we've been in this house for 20 years and in this neighborhood for 25. Cool. Cool. Uh, and where before that? Uh, I was born and raised in New Jersey, spent some really formative years in New York City. And I've been here in Colorado since 77. Okay. And have you been in, in music your entire adult life? 
I started in 1969. I wasn't really an adult. I was on the cusp of 13 to 14 years old. And uh, I walked into the Fillmore East in New York City and never left. <laughs> That's who was playing. Uh, the first the first band that was playing at the Fillmore was the Incredible String Band. They were doing their 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 Celtic folk opera called You. If you look it up, it was an amazing piece of music, and I it it, it was life changing to me. And I like I said, um, I I went back about a week later and just walked in backstage and started pushing cases around, and I had a job within a week. Um, and Bill Graham was a mentor to me. I worked my my nickname Joe Baby was given to me by Bill because I was such a little punk running around there you know for for quite a bit i did a lot of coffee running and so on and so forth but eventually was part of the sound crew there and, and that's where i started my career so you just you 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 went and loved it and you were about 13 and you just hung out until they gave you something to yeah, do they couldn't get rid of me <laughs> wow uh, and so gr growing up in that i mean did you also want to perform did you want to be on stage be a musician so ironically, I was in a, in a band at about that age um, with a relatively famous dude named Tico Torres, who is still John Bon Jovi's drummer. Wow. And um, they all got together one day and said, you know what, man, you'd make a really good sound guy because I was a guitar player with no meter and, and, and I couldn't write music. So, I mean, that really didn't bode well for me being a guitar player. Um, yeah. So it was the best, I mean, I took it a little bit tough at that moment, but it was really the best thing that ever happened to me because I, 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 I learned that I wanted to love sound and learn sound. And, you know, of course, working with, with Weisberg at the Fillmore, um, I started really, really early and I've been in the sound industry ever since. So you talk about taking it hard. Um, how long did it take you to, cause I, I can imagine if you're in music and that's maybe your dream or whatever. And then you, you hear this comment. I mean, how long did it take you before you said, okay, well maybe I am meant to be. Oh, maybe a week. It was, it wasn't a long time. Okay. <laughs> it was, you weren't, you weren't too sad about it. Yeah, no. Cause that band wasn't very good anyway. Um, a lot of the guys went on to very successful music careers, but as we all did, but, um, it was, it wasn't a very good band anyway. So it didn't really kill me. <laughs> how, did, how, how did your parents feel, um, when you were running off at 13, 14, 15 years Heartbroken, old? Heartbroken to tell you the truth. My, my, my dad really died with very young in 77, um, heartbroken because neither, he had a very successful hardware business and neither myself um, or my sister wanted it. It ended up going to my cousin. I, you know, I had run off and joined the circus as, as he, as he uh, would always say. And my sister had her own designs and career in the, in the stock market world and neither one of us really wanted it. So um, he, he was never happy with it. Um, uh, my mom got used to it, um, down the road and, and she, she was, she was okay with it, but, but still many years later, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what they wanted to see me do. And did you go to college or anything like that? Or were you just in, in hard knocks? I went to school at the Institute of Audio Research in New York city, okay. um, and learned from some really, really great people. Um, but not not a traditional um, degree. And at what was the first studio that you started really working at? 
Well, I, and it's funny, a studio is, and we can, we'll get into it a little bit, but studio is, is very much late in life for me. Um, the first studio I ever walked into was Electric Lady um, in 70 when Jimmy was still there and doing all of his really cool stuff in the village. But um, I was always a live guy. I've always believed that the challenge of performing live and mixing live uh, and not having a rewind button. Of course, now it's not called a rewind button. It's just a clip with Pro Tools. But when when I started, it was a rewind button. And not having a rewind button and the ability to um, do it over always gave a, a really special feel. And even to this day, all the stuff that I do in the studio, I put the entire band in the same room together, and including a scratch vocal, and we record everything and then punch what we need to. But I try and get as much live as possible. What draws you to the live sound? Energy. Uh, just it's 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 there. There's an energy that's there that is it's it's just not the same when dude sits down at a piano and sings a song and then sends it to guitar dude who sends it to bass dude who sends it to drum dude who sends it to trumpet dude and by the time it comes back it's it's kind of a very mechanical feel. Yeah. Do, have you gotten any pushback on that from artists? Uh, no, um, because I think the ones that want to work with me uh, all seem to be on the same page. Yeah. Uh, is where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you did live sound for first. Um, I mean, what, what what kind of events were you doing? Well, I uh, I guess my my uh, my my biggest claim to fame is that I uh, mixed the stage. I mixed monitors for the Stones from '73 to '81. Um, and you know, because we didn't tour every year, I had a lot of opportunities, and I worked for a couple of great. Um, mid-level sound companies, um, Maryland Sound, who's, they're still there. I can't believe that Bobby Goldstein is still doing his thing. And um, Cameron Sound, which is gone now in Miami. But so with with Bobby, you know, I did a lot of really cool bands like uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Roberta Flack, James Brown, a lot of soul stuff. Um, with Cameron, it was a lot of Southern acts, uh, Outlaws, Leonard Skinnerd. Um, ZZ Top, we did a lot of really cool Southern stuff. So I had a, a really broad base of, of, of music from which to draw. And I was, I was, like I said, I was fortunate. I spent, you know, my formative years at the Fillmore watching everybody perform live. And, you know, it's funny, I look back on it now and it's pretty amazing. But when I was in it, it was really more of, it was no different than going to work at Burger King, except the music was a little better, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was just I didn't realize how much that was was just kind of uh, coming into my uh, into my own. I, I found a really old Fillmore poster um, just the other day and I was looking at it with my wife. And you look at just the month of January 1970, the, the, the roster of, of what show, you know, day after day after day and all the artists that were there and so on and so forth. And it, it, it's funny. And, you know, Richie Fury from Poco and and. Uh, Buffalo Springfield lives here in Colorado and I've done a lot of work with him over the years. And I think the very first time we worked together was a show that he actually um, opened um, at the Fillmore with Poco. And it, it, it's really been that long, but yeah, the music was just stupid. Good. Was, I mean, it do, do you feel like the music has lost something over the years? 
Well, yeah, because I, I rock and roll was formative then. I mean, we, everybody was still creating stuff that was completely new. Yeah. And while there's still a lot of new stuff happening, and I don't want to minimize what's going on with EDM and with dance and with 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 modern um, hip hop and rap and, and the jam band stuff that is the, the post Grateful Dead jam band stuff, which has blossomed so much further than Jerry ever could have imagined it. Um, it's still not um, quite what we experienced in the in in the '60s and '70s, even going into the early '80s, when there was just so much to be discovered. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you feel that now the music is kind of pig- piggybacking off that a little bit more? Absolutely. And you look at the success of all the old guys that are on the road. This 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 current Rolling Stones tour that that just ended. If you look at that, the 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 tribute they did with with to Charlie, and to see how Steve Jordan fit into there, and then the quality of the music that these guys at that age are putting out, and not just Stones, but so many great bands that are on the road. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that the the the, the Genesis trio that's on the road right now is just better than they've ever been. And wow. uh, so, yeah. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of the young kids are definitely piggybacking on that, piggybacking on that. Yeah. And, and talking, bringing up the stones again, you went, you started with them in 73. Is that correct? Mixing monitors. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so, and they put out a lot of great records between 73 and 81, but 73 uh, sticky fingers and exile, exile on main street had just come out within the last year or two. Um, so what, I mean, they had to have just been larger than life at that point. What were those tours like? You know, but, and that's what I'm getting at. I guess it, it didn't seem to be larger than life to me. And quite frankly, it was not the best performances that they ever did. If you really go back and look at the films and there's, there's, there's tons of concert footage, and you know, movies and so on and so forth. Um, and if you, you look at that stuff, their performances today are, are, are just miles above what their performances. And I'm not talking from an energy standpoint. And when you were in that crowd watching that band play, it was absolutely amazing. And when you were there, the feel, when I was doing it, the feel was really good, but it was, when we were, when we were doing it back then, it was hard work. I mean, we, and we were moving super heavy cases and we were working from 10 o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the morning and trying to catch a, a little a little bit of shut eye wherever we could and you know we were fried we we took a lot of drugs um so you know we missed a lot of it um i would say that i missed a lot of it um i remember a lot but i certainly don't remember a lot as well right right it, it, did you I mean, were you partying with the band afterwards? Did everybody yeah, mingle? Yeah, to, to a certain extent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to go too deep into that, but yeah, there was a there was a, there was well there, there was there was a certain uh, amount of, of of drugs that 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 were part of my life. I I was able to kind of walk away from the from the worst of it around seventy seven in my life. Um, but yeah, it was I was lucky to survive. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So, at what point did you start uh, snapped on the river music? Um, so the, there, there's, there's a hole in my, in my music career that started in about the middle of 83 when, um, I met my wife in 81 and we got married and in 83, um, she got pregnant with our first kid. And that point in time, we decided that we did not want to, um, subject our kids to a touring lifestyle. And we literally walked away for 20 years. And is that when you, I mean, you were with the uh, doing monitors for the stones till 81. Is that what made you walk away from that gig? Um, no, it just, there wasn't anything after 81. Um, that's when we got 
married was at the end of that tour, the 81 tour. Um, and then we probably would have gone back to something in 83 had uh, we decided to stick with it, but we really didn't. You know, we, like I said, we made a conscious decision that we would always come back once we raised our kids. And when we did, and basically what happened is, is in 83, I was a Rip Van Winkle. I went to sleep analog. And in the early 2000s, when I decided to make my move back into music, um, I woke up and it was digital. And there was so much to be learned. So I could yeah. either go through an incredible learning experience and get in the back of a sprinter with 15 dudes, drive down the road 200 nights a year, or I could go into the studio, hire an engineer, be a producer. And of course, this came from suggestions of friends of mine, musician friends of mine, and, and, and take my time getting comfortable in the digital world. And of course, with, with Dockside being there, which is a totally analog room, I was very, very comfortable with, with, with what was available to me there. So that's where my studio career really began was, was, was in, 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 in 05 when we decided to really come back and start making uh, music again. Did you start at Dockside in 05 as well? Uh, no, I actually didn't get there until about 08. Okay. Um, I did some some work in Nashville. I worked out of uh, Quad and um, oh, geez, my mind's going blank right now. <laughs> you know the other one too. Um, but we, I did a great the first the first really good record I did um, was at Quad Studios with a lady named Sean Murphy. Sean, who is still in Bob Seger's band, if Bob ever chooses to tour again, and also um, she was in Little Feet for about seventeen years, and she's a, a great blues artist on her own. Um, she was the one that kind of convinced me to go into the studio and come back and, hey, man, why don't you produce a record? And I did several for, for several very successful ones with her, and she's the one that got me started. So you had a relationship with her prior to your your hiatus? We, uh, I worked uh, for Bachman Turner Overdrive for a tour back in 74, and uh, we opened for Bob Seger, and she was in Bob's band, so that's how long I've known her. Wow. So it was it? Was I mean, you've talked about the learning curve a little bit, but was it tough to get work at first in general because you were out of it for, for quite a while? No, it's amazing how many people uh, I, I still was friends with and how I was I was really warmly welcomed back into um, the, the music realm. Because, I mean, we really stayed very far away from it. We went to some shows and we did some stuff. You know, we, we, we went to a few Stone shows over the years and, and other bands that I worked with, we'd go to see shows. But, I mean, we literally were, I, I also had a very successful career in retail, which we don't really need to go into, but it, it paid the bills for many, many years. And, um, and it really continued to pay the bills up until, until uh, up until now, I actually retired from my retail career a little over a year ago. But um, it, it it was it was very very good for me, and it made it. I, I never had to rely on music for money, so it it, it made it very comfortable for me. It, it, so you you kept when you took your hiatus, you did you started the retail raising a family, and you actually kept that job up until up until twenty twenty. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And so now in 08, when you're when you're starting to produce records again, um, did you were you guys living in Nashville or were you just going out there to do? No, we lived here. We we have lived here in Colorado. All we we just never we decided we would never stray from Colorado. I never fell in love with Nashville. We did Nashville because Sean lived there and because there was a great pool of musicians there and um, there were some great rooms. And again, I always wanted to work in in legacy type of rooms. Quad in Nashville has has a couple of really good Neve consoles in a couple of their rooms. Mm -hmm. And you know, as you probably know, I'm a very much 
much a Neve guy when it comes to wherever I go to record. Um, there's a sound that just, you, you know from your own music um, what that sounds like. Can you describe it as best you can to the listeners? Um, comfortable, warm, makes you want to sit down on the couch and squeeze your honey and smile. <laughs> is really and it doesn't matter whether it's rock whether it's blues whether it's funk whether it's soul whether it's country um there's just there's ju there's just a sound and a feel that comes through the transformers that are in those consoles that that, that, that you can't find anywhere else and for the the non-musicians listening roughly what joe's describing is is the console in a recording studio where the engineer sits you've seen pictures of it um there's all the buttons and the sliders and all this and all this stuff. That's that's the gen. That's the area we're talking about of the st of the studio. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the for the very for the very most basic description, there's basically what it, it's it's where all the microphones come in to transfer the sound to either tape or to um, digital media, but it has to go through there, and the the console itself creates part of that sound. There's documentaries on this on, on the on, you know, Sound City, yeah, <laughs> a great yep. movie. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, starting to get back into things in 08, producing. What was the learning curve now? Now that you you have woken up in digital world, um, when did you start getting a hang back a hang on the engineering side of things as well? Um, I'd say it took me a good five years before um, I was really comfortable, and I still do front of house every once in a while, but comfortable on the on the on the digital front of house consoles, um, understanding fat channels and understanding workflow and so on. It probably took me five years, but again, I was in a, in a very comfortable place where I didn't have to worry about it. I wasn't I wasn't in any kind of a hurry. Um, I could take my time. I could learn. Um, I worked with a lot. So, for example, my engineer, Josh Fairman, um, for, for so many years, was also a musician. He had his Kinetics band. He had his Analog Sun band now, of course, with Sun Squabby. And so being able to be his sound guy, he was able to let me be very, uh, he was able to be very forgiving and let me learn. I, I wasn't really under pressure um to have to learn what digital is. And, and when I'm in the studio now, I still, I don't touch Pro Tools. I know how to use it. Um, but like Justin, who we've talked about down at Dockside, he's a wizard. Josh is a wizard. They move so fast and what they can do, I could do the same thing they could it would take me 20 years where it would take them three hours. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I, it does amaze me. Uh, it, Justin's a great example. Uh, just, just a, a wizard. He moves, he, it kind of just has a solution for everything right away and, and bang, bang, bang. And it, well, you and see that both him and Josh. It, it's it, there's an empathy there where before I could get the word out and say like, man, do you think we could use just a little more bottom there on that kick? He's already turning the knob before I can get the words out of my mouth. And so I really, what I've, what, what my person of a producer has become is number one is somebody who I've, I've been blessed to be able to put together great bands um that most of the time have never played together so there's a little bit of um of fear and anxiety as to when we walk into the studio um what is this going to sound like um and to so to facilitate some really cool uh cool bands and i, I i've been lucky because i haven't failed everyone i've put together 
together. It's just sounded better than the next, you know, my Neville Jacobs project that I'm sorry, I'm sure you saw putting I, Ivan Neville and Chris Jacobs together. Um, two relatively very different individuals who just blended so beautifully together. Um, so really that's, that's kind of what I've become is I kind of put together a band. I, I throw ideas, I throw songs. Um, I, I work very closely with arranging, but the engineering part of it really is very little of what I do anymore. Right. Right. And which, which is an old school producer in a way, maybe, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I don't get in the way. Um, I certainly don't tell anybody what to play. I can give them suggestions um, on sounds and on concepts. And um, but once 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 we get there, I just kind of sit back and listen. Um, you know, I'm going in now with uh, with Deanna Bogart, um, who I've worked at Dockside before. We're going down this weekend. Um, she we're using Scott Ambush, the uh, bass player from Spyro Gyra. Um, and we're using her guitar player, who's Dan Leonard, who's been with her forever. But that's the that's the key to her. But then we've got Scott on bass. And then the real difference maker there is we're using Chris Myers, uh, the drummer from Humphreys McGee on drums. So it's it is that's really out of her wheelhouse. Um, but I I'm sure that once we get there, this 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 little four piece band with her on piano is going to turn into in, into a real monster. And I don't think I'm going to have to do much but walk into the room and say, Chris, meet Deanna, meet Dan, meet Scott, and meet Justin, and we set up gear and we start making music, and it's just going to be magic. And so, and, and is this you a lot of times orchestrating the different players coming in? Oh yeah, uh, that's that's kind of uh, almost a requirement if I'm going to get involved with a project, or I'll think the project up myself. I'm I'm working on one right now, and we haven't set an exact date. Um, but it's a band called the Malones, and it's yeah. uh, Dave Malone from the Radiators and his brother Tommy from the Subdudes, and another dude named Bob Malone, who's John Fogarty's music director from L.A. Uh, the three of them with with a couple of other badass cats that I put together on bass and drums, and um. It's just, you know, I was talking, actually, I think it started as a Facebook conversation between Dave and Bob, and I stuck my nose into the conversation. I said, dudes, let's make a record. And it, it, it evolved, but I just, I keep getting these crazy ideas. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I love uh, that, you're, that, you, that you're that way, right? Hey, here's a crazy idea. Let's do it, you know? Um, I've never been scared to ask. Yeah, yep. Yep. I, I, I actually, I opened for Dave and Tommy. They did something together at the Gothic many years ago. And, uh, and, and, and actually I'd heard of the subdudes and the radiators, but didn't dig into them until after that show. I mean, I was probably 2021 and I said, Oh, these are two really rad bands. Right. Um, but, uh, no, so that's cool. You're doing a, a project with them and, um, Neville Jacobs. How did that whole thing come about? Well, actually, um, Ivan and Chris and I were all friends in the poker world. I've spent a lot of my life playing poker, both professionally and not professionally. Um, and we we just we, we spent a lot of time playing poker together. And it was just one of those things. And I looked at both of them and said, man, you guys need to get together and make some music. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, poof, that was that's where it became uh, an idea. We got together in Baltimore in a little studio one day, and they they threw some demos together. And then that was actually my very first time at Dockside. Ivan said, "Hey, let's go grab some players and let's go to Dockside and see what this thing sounds like." So we went out to Dockside, and Tony Daigle is still the engineer there, who's a, a famous producer. Who's, he's got Grammy after Grammy after Grammy out of that room. Um, but we went out there and it was supposed to be um, Charlie Wooten on bass and Doug Belote on drums. And Doug, unfortunately, um, got sick. And so we ended up with Eric Bolivar. And it, it was we, yeah. we recorded some really, really freaking nice demos. Um, and we took it around. We found some label interest and decided we were going to do it. Um, but it wasn't really the band that Chris and Ivan wanted. Um, so Ivan said, well, I tell you what, let's get Tony Hall, who he plays with in Dumps the Funk, and let's get Brady Blade. And Brady is just an absolute monster drummer. And at the moment, Brady had his own studio up in Shreveport. So that's one of the rare albums that I didn't record at Dockside. It was recorded almost everywhere else. Um, we did it there. And then we did a whole bunch of, uh, of overdubs and vocals at the parlor in new orleans and aaron neville was on the project and we recorded him at the magic shop in in new york city and again the the common theme there except for the console at blade studios everything else that we overdubbed was 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 on neve boards and now what is the connection for you with with new orleans i mean i know dockside is in is in maurice uh, near lafayette but you're you're using a lot of New Orleans uh, musician musician names. You know, um, my friendship with Ivan, which just goes back a long, long time. And as we started to work together, then I started working with Cyril, and I started working with his dad, and I and and so I kind of became uh, part of the of that New Orleans family. They welcomed me in, which is still a blessing to me. I still, when I go down there, I feel so blessed to just. To, to call some of these people that are that are just walking legends friends and uh so and i, and I love the music you know um I, I i just i love soul music i love what we call funk now which is really you know came out of of, of what was soul when i was a, a young guy growing up and you know the blues world loves me i'm not the biggest real straight blues fan in the world um although and i'm, I'm not free to mention it yet because we're having a call tonight but there's another very much new orleans legend reached out to me last week and he wants to do a straight up blues album out at dockside and i'm not going to say no but to me, a one, four, five shuffle is just boring. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it doesn't mean that I won't do it because like I said, I've done a bunch of them and I've been very successful with them. Mm. Uh, really not to backtrack too much, but I thought of this and wanted to ask your poker playing. How okay. long has that been a thing? And do you play online or only in person with, with friends of yours? I used to play online. Um, the, 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 the history of me and poker is I've always played, even in the, like in the eighties when we lived in Los Angeles and I used to play in the card rooms there, but just casually. Um, and a long part of my retail career, my wife and I owned, um, a small chain of video stores. We actually used to go and rent video cassettes. I don't know if everybody even remembers what those are. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately we got out late 
Um, we got out too late and it was financially, it was a financial disaster for us. And at the very same moment, my daughter came to us and told us that even though she had um, free ride scholarships at both um, Seton Hall and Tulane, she wanted to go to a small private school in Virginia that had no scholarships. And being the dad that I was without even thinking about it, I said, yes, with no money. Um, so therefore I started playing poker and realized that I was really good at it. I was able to pay for her school with it. And I became part of team full tilt, which was an online, um, a very big online poker site during its heyday. Um, and, and I had a really good run with it, but the one thing I found out about playing professionally is it took all the fun out of the game. And as a, I, I love poker, it's a passion of mine. And so I didn't do it for a living for very long. I only did it while I had to, um, because I wanted to enjoy the game. And when you play professionally, it's, 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 it's work. It's hard, hard work. I can't imagine too many dads saying we were in financial trouble and our daughter wanted to go to private school across the country. So I started playing poker. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting, it was, it was an interesting moment in my life. I think my wife kicked me under the table because she definitely was not a fan of me saying yes to that. It's like, you know, take what you got or get a job was her, it was her feeling for, for our daughter, but that's not the way it worked out. And our daughter's a very successful kid. We did a very good job with both our son and our daughter. So I, I have no regrets in any way, shape or form. And how old are they now? Uh, 37 and 35. So let's jump into, um, Let's jump into Dockside a little bit. We've been talking okay. about that some. I know when I was down there in July, you were down there with Johnny and the Mongrels, I believe, like the week before I was down there and the week after or something. Like we were, you were about to come in and it, and it just left. Um, you're down there a lot. You're doing all kinds of projects down there. You have been for years. Um, talk about Dockside a little bit. Well, it's a, it's there, there, and, and I'm sure you experienced that. Um, and I can't tell you the exact number, but, you know, there are four more Grammy nominations out of that room this year. Um, it seems like whatever happens there is magic. You know, the very first Grammy that the studio won was Tony with B.B. King's Blues on the Bayou many, many years ago. And every time somebody walks in there, they kind of leave a spirit behind in the wall. And those, in, in my humble opinion, those spirits live there. And so when a musician like yourself, and I think you might even be able to attest to it, they walk in there, it's like, okay, why am I playing just a little bit above my game here all of a sudden why am i creating something i've never been able to create before i just finished a project with a with a with a with a band called liquid animal and um you know she had been flat the girl who's the, the the leader of the band had been floundering with who she was for well for a good 10 or 12 years of her career and due to some great circumstances that happened it was like okay let's go on down let's cut a couple of demos down there and let's see how you feel with a different kind of a band and she came out of there and it was actually liquid animal that i was doing i think while you were going down there versus johnny but i can't remember yeah, and yeah. so we went down and we just did two songs we were there for two days we did two songs um i brought again i brought in musicians that she had never worked with before you know eddie christmas on drums and some local lafayette guys um Justin, Justin Tockett actually played bass on it. And we did a couple of songs. Two days later, after we got back, she called me up and she says, what happened? 
this is what I've wanted to be all of my life. And I've never been able to get here. How did I just all of a sudden get here? And of course, people sometimes blame that on me as a producer, but I like to blame it on the room. Like I said, there's something about the magic that happens in that room that, that I've never been able to create anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember arriving there kind of being ju just in disbelief because one, I'd seen so many album credits just on the back of records, like, oh, made it Dockside. Uh, two, I was sitting in a car with my, you know, my biggest musical influence pulling up together. And then you get out and there's just like the sound too, you know, the the green grass and the sound of Louisiana, I guess. Um, and there was, there was something very cool about the studio and just the whole property. There was, there was the crickets energy. and the water riding, running yeah. by. And, uh, and it, it really is, it, you know, it's paradise, but it, it's true. When you first pull up to the, to, to the gate and it says Thunder Road and you realize that something's going on behind that gate and you, the, the big, beautiful old oaks are uh, over the driveway and you pull in and it's just they're, they're Like I said, it's, it's, it's a magical place like no other. And, and, you know, when I first went out there with Ivan the first time, um, there was no Internet out there and there was no cell service. And to be able to get Ivan completely engulfed in music versus, um, you know, engulfed in everything else that goes on around his life and, and, and musicians, it really it's an environment like no other. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, they do have Internet down, down there now. Yes, the cell service still isn't <laughs> very good. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But boy, is the food good. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it's it, funny. I have this coming week in December is my week. I've owned that week since I started recording there. I, well, I, I, it doesn't matter what the project is, but I find a project to go down and do this week because it's this is the week when the Satsumas become ripe. And if you've never eaten those little Satsuma oranges that grow down there in Louisiana, that's the most amazing flavor you ever have. So we'll get a bag of Satsumas. We'll run down to Nunu's and get a bag of Cracklins and we can live on those for a week. Wow. So you have this set, what the second week of December booked yep. or third. Actually week, it's usually the week before Christmas week is, is, is the way I look at. So sometimes it's the second week, sometimes it's the third week, depending on, but it's, it's a really good week because no musician is doing anything that week. You know, everybody's, everybody's already off. They've finished whatever tour they're getting ready for jam cruise next year and whatever else is going on. So it's always a good time to be able to, to pick whatever musicians you want and get them to do something with you. How long has that been a blackout date for you? Uh, about, uh, I think this is my 11th year. <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, that's really neat. Um, and a cool week to pick. And for that reason too. Um, well, and the weather too, you know, the, you know, the weather can be stifling in the summertime and it doesn't yes. mean that I don't go there in the summer cause I am. And Justin's really good at keeping the air conditioning set on refrigerate, you know? And yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but yeah. And now I heard, a, a story that when Steve, you know, Steve and, and Wish were looking at the place that Paul Simon was also looking at it. And and Steve ended up Steve and Wish ended up getting it. Do you know anything about that? Well, when they well, they 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 were determined to get it when they saw it. And of course, you know, the, the the tragic story of Steve, which he still says was the best thing that ever happened to him in his life, because before the accident, he was um, a very addicted um, individual. And then then all of a sudden he had the accident and became a quadriplegic. 
Um, but they had the settlement. They had um, they had they had money to spend, and they 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 decided if he was going to continue to be around music, um, that he was going to have a recording studio. And once they saw it, there was really there there was nothing that was going to stop them from from getting that property and building that studio. Yeah, and and which is wonderful because I I, I love those two people so much because they are. Um, they are so special to independent musicians. Anybody can come there and there is, there, there, there's no, there's no ego there. There's no, oh, this guy's a star, but this guy's not a star. It doesn't matter if you are BB King or if you are me, you know, if you go to their website and this blows me away, Andy, I still don't understand it. But if you go to the website and look at the client list, I'm, I'm listed number three and BB's like number 15 down at the bottom of, you know, down, down the list. It's like, so there's, I don't understand it, I, I, but that's, that's who Steve and Wish are. They just, they just are great human beings and they're, they, they believe in, 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 in independent musicians so much. Um, and so, yeah, that's part of what the, uh, what the studio is. It's a special, it's a special place. Uh, a couple, Well, and actually, first off, before we jump off of that, is there one project in particular? You talk about all the magic in that room and the energy. Is there a project in particular or a recording session that you can, that you look back on and say, wow, that was the that was the session? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Deanna Bogart's Just a Wish Away album, um, which we recorded uh, a little over seven, eight years ago now when we're going back. Believe it or not, she hasn't done another record. You can go to my website which is snapdownriverMusic.com. Click on the videos page. There is a video of her and Chris Jacobs did a cover of um, a J.D. Souther tune called If You Had Crying Eyes. And J.D. Souther and Linda Ronstadt did it, and it had never been covered before. And Chris and Deanna, which ironically, both being Baltimore icons, had never met until Chris walked in the studio. I brought him in just to play a little guitar on a couple of songs. They had never met before. And Deanna said, you know, Chris, you want to do this duet with me? And they spent maybe 30 minutes kind of thinking about what the concept was going to be like. We were going to do it the next day. And then all of a sudden, at 11 o'clock at night, Deanna comes and knocks me on the shoulder. And that's one of the special things about living there at the studio. And she says, can we just take a run at this tonight? And they recorded that song. What you see is the first take. Okay. Um, it has absolutely no EQ, compression, any kind of treatment on the mix whatsoever, except for the stereo EMT plate verb that's up in the attic. Um, and then we actually added Marty Rifkin in on pedal steel and, you know, his stuff, we kind of tried to, our best to make it sound like everything else. But again, I think that was the most magical moment I have ever had in my musical career. I don't care whether you talk Rolling Stones, whether you talk Leonard Skinner, any of the legends that I've been, James Brown, that I've been blessed to work with. That particular song is, is something that I, I still, when I watch it, it, it brings me to tears because how did, how did that happen? It was just the magic in the middle of the night of the first take with two people that never played together before. Yep. Yep. I watched the video uh, prior, prior to the interview. It's a great, it's a great rendition. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I love, I love that you have a, a, a direct memory like that. They said, no, that's the one that's the, that's the thing yeah. amongst all the magic. I did jump into a couple other things before we, uh, before we run out of time here. Um, 
you recently have, have been involved in starting a label, uh, Bent River Records, correct? Yes. And what? how did that come about? So when we did that record for Deanna, I was working as a producer for um, a legacy blues label in Chicago called Blind Pig. Mm. And just as we were releasing that record, um, Blind Pig was bought by Sony. And so the small label all of a sudden became this big label. And um, I met a guy by the name of Scott Ambrose Riley. And he is now the president of The Orchard, which is Sony's digital music wing. Um, when I met him, he was, he was actually working for Sony as a vice president. But he's, he's, his claim to fame is he started a little music service called Amazon Music. And um, he got into a pissing match with Jeff Bezos and went over to Sony. And that's when I met him. And for whatever reason, again, this is the blessing of my life. Why have we been friends all these years? I'm not really sure. You know, he made a run at Neville Jacobs to release them. They decided they wanted to be on a smaller label and they, they made their choice. I think they made the wrong one. Uh, Chris and Ivan will tell you that I've told that to him many times. But we remained friends. And with all the cool stuff that I had going on, I was going to be in New York in October. And I sent Scott an email and I said, you know, I got to talk to you about some projects. And I really was hoping that we would just release them on Sony, including Deanna's and the Malone's project and some other stuff that I'm working on. And he said, we've created a new company policy since the pandemic that we are no longer doing direct to artist deals, you know, unless it's like little baby and some of the real monsters that are already part of our, our, our family. And he says, I need you to start a label and I'm going to give you the full support of our social people, our marketing people, our distribution. Um, so even though you're going to be a teeny little label, you won't feel that way. And if you create a good piece of music, your vinyls will be in all the best vinyl stores. Your CDs can hit the shelves in Walmart, Target, Best Buy if, if we feel that there's going to be a way to market and get them out there. So all of a sudden, here I am, an independent guy that is going to have the force of um, of Sony music behind me. And I'm also very closely affiliated with Color Red Music, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but that's Eddie yeah. Roberts from the new Master Sounds. In fact, when I'm done here, my next, my next uh, thing is with Eddie today. Um, and they're going to be providing label services for me, plus all of my artists will also be part of their music platform, which is, you know, it's an iTunes-like platform, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to give independent artists um, a chance to get a little bit better um, treatment than they would get if they release it on their own label or, you know, self-release something um, and where they could never knock on the door at Sony and get anybody to even pay attention in this day and age. Right. So, so getting, getting the independent, the indie attention that, that they need, right. For themselves, but then also having the push of a major label um, in some respects as well. Exactly. And I have no clue how it's going to work. Um, you know, if you look at my life as a businessman, I have been nothing but a failure. You know, we go back to when I started playing poker. I was going broke at the time. I found my way to go broke a lot of times in my life. I am not I'm an artist. I'm not a business guy. And so that's the scary part of this thing. But I have um, a, a great partner and attorney who's helping me with it. I've got Eddie Roberts who's helping with it. I've got Scott from Sony that's helping me with it. And I'm hoping that it turns into something good. I'm certainly willing to put the energy into it to see where it goes. But uh, I mean, I'm still in who knows land. 
have there been any uh, artists signed yet or is that all coming down the line? Well, we're doing, um, um, we're doing Deanna's record and liquid animal, the first actual releases for the label. Um, I have signed an artist that I've, that I've wanted to work with, but have not, but I've signed his whole catalog. Um, his name is Romeo Amputu. He's from, uh, Congo from DRC. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in LA now, but he's recently been over here for a few years and we've wanted to do some stuff together, but we're going to, we're going to do his catalog. And then I produced a record with Brady blade, um, several years ago uh, for a young Swedish band called Oscar Soul Experience. And they're going to be in one of the next catalog things that we're going to bring along. But no, we need content. I'll be looking once I'm actually up and running and I'm hoping that this will all be done um, in January sometime. Um, I'm going to be looking for artists. I'm going to be looking for people that have already got stuff that need to be released. And I'm going to be looking for people that want to record court stuff and i hope i really hope that it becomes um a benefit you know i'm at i'm at 66 years old i'm really at a at a mentor place in my life i'm not looking to make a million dollars on any one project i just want to make a lot lot more good music and maybe help some young people make a lot more good music i think we need more people like that in the industry yeah, there are more than you realize. There are. They're out there. You know, look at look at who you worked with, and you're you know, we are, you know, Anders is pretty special too. You know what yes. I mean? He's gotten to the point in his life right now where he's doing more for people like you than he's doing for himself. And yeah. which, and again, you know, you say he's one of your your idols. Well, he's one of my idols too. I think he's one of the greatest people on the planet. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on was a uh, Rocky Mountain Music Relief. Um, which I know you've been working on with Chris K. What what is that project all about? Well, it started with the floods up in uh, um, up in the mountains. You know, the the floods a few years ago when all musicians were just um, devastated, um, lost instruments, lost homes, lost everything. And so we got together with, with Chris K and Cass Clayton and a few other great, uh, Colorado artists. And we just created something. We did a, a couple amazing benefits one with Richie Fure at Swallow Hill and one with Cyril Neville and a whole bunch of people at the Boulder Theater I mean at the uh, at the Fox Theater and we raised a bunch of money to give away and it kind of stayed alive but kind of didn't do a lot until the pandemic and we had some money in the bank and we were able to raise a whole bunch more money and we've been giving away uh, just gift cards to musicians that need some food um, as everybody was struggling through and really what it boils down to is that and if anybody's listening and if you're in the need we are still um, just go to RockyMountainMusicRelief.org and there's a place where you can uh, apply for assistance. And it's it's not large amounts of money, but we give away $100 gift cards to musicians. If you're hungry, don't be hungry. Come to us. We, we're, we'll be glad to help you. Uh, it's such a wonderful thing um, that you've gotten involved with. And, and both Chris and Cass have been on the podcast in the past. Um, and if and well and they're they're amazing people too they're they really are so yeah yeah well if you don't mind stay on the line with me for just a sec but uh in front of our audience thank you so much for taking the time it's been a pleasure chatting with you i think we're buddies now I like Joe. I like Joe a lot. That was a fun conversation. He had a lot of great stories. He's involved in a lot of things. Um, And one of the things I I love chatting with about people is something that you don't know about them that's not music related. Generally, when I'm 
researching who's going to be on the podcast or hear someone's music. I know about their music, and I I think it's fascinating, in his case, about the poker. Um, I know we just touched on it for a second, but I, I really love stuff like that. That's what I love about conversations so much is um, finding out those other things about people um, that that you didn't know right on the surface. I you know I knew him through through music. So anyway, great conversation. Thanks Joe for coming on. I sure appreciate it. I hope you all have a great week. Happy New Year once again and we'll chat with you next week. Bye.